And I'm going to ask that I be turned on. I'm green. Well, while we're getting those technical difficulties figured out, I'm afraid I'm going to blast you all out when it comes on here in just a second. I need your participation a little bit more tonight than maybe normally. I want you to get out your phone if you have a phone. Get out your phone if you have a phone. Um, and that's a little bit smaller than I had hoped, but um, here's what I want you to do. Um, oh, somebody's already on it. Look at these people, early adopters. Uh, you can go either if you have connection to the internet to poll ev that's poll everywhere p o l l e v dot com backslash r m reagan mcclenny r m poll or you may text r m poll to this number two two three 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 once you join then just put in what your age is um, on this poll uh, now, here's the good news. If you're like, I don't want to do that, or I don't know if I can do that, if there's a child sitting near you, uh, I have enabled this to where you can actually answer more than once, so you and your spouse can share. Um, you, uh, if somebody figures it out around you, uh, then that's great. You can share uh, with one another on that, um, and just each person can answer. Uh, I just want to, to get that from everybody. So that's, that's where we're going to start. Uh, my 65 and older folks, I, I need you to come through a little bit here. You're going to skew the numbers on me. Uh, skew the numbers on me a little bit. Um, so if you have a phone where you're able to text, there's one. That's good. That's excellent. Um, if, you'll, if you'll do that, um, that will be very helpful to me as we consider our lesson tonight. Um, and so uh, keep your phone handy. I'm going to ask you a couple of more questions as we go through the lesson tonight. Uh, this is kind of beta testing a little bit. Um, I told Stephanie I was going to do this, and she said, not on Sunday morning, right? And I'm like, no, Sunday night, Sunday night, so we'll see how this works. It's something I've done in Bible classes before, first time trying to do this in a lesson. Uh, again, we'll see how it goes. Um, there are lots and lots of prayers in the Bible. By one count, there are over 650 prayers that are either, either recorded or mentioned in the biblical text. Uh, and what might be the last one or two prayers, depending on how you count it, are found in the last two verses of the Bible. So turn to Revelation 22, if you would. Revelation 22. And uh, we're going to read the last couple of verses in the Revelation from God. From the book of Revelation, which was given to John. So Revelation chapter 22, and we'll read verses 20. And 21 together. Good job, everybody, participating. I appreciate that. Okay. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So we have there at the end of verse 20, even so, come, Lord Jesus. That's a, a statement. It's an exclamation. Some would consider that a prayer. And then he says in verse 21, either praying now or continuing with the same prayer, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So let it be. 
I want us to consider this statement for a few moments this evening. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, if you're still replying, um, I haven't turned you off yet. You can still do that if you need to. But I want us to think about this phrase, come, Lord Jesus. Um, for much of my life, that phrase has made me a little uncomfortable. How? I mean, how can he say that like that? How can he say it with such conviction? Uh, in the New King James and several other translations, it rightly has an exclamation mark after this. This is j something that John is exclaiming. And I just don't know if I could now, and certainly not in the past, say the same thing with the same conviction. Come, Lord Jesus, that I'm ready for him to come right now, this very moment. If he wants to come, come. And in fact, that's what I would prefer that he just goes ahead and comes right now. That's tough, isn't it? Or at least for some of us it is. And so here's what I want to ask you next. How comfortable are you in saying, come Lord Jesus? How comfortable are you in saying, come Lord Jesus? So here are your choices. Very comfortable saying that. Absolutely. Come Lord Jesus. I'm ready. Somewhat comfortable, yeah, you know, I'm ready for him to come, and so no, I can say that, although, you know, maybe there's some things I want to do. Somewhat uncomfortable, well, I'm ready if he comes, but I don't know necessarily that I would say that, or very uncomfortable, you know what, I just really don't want to say that at all. I'm not even sure if I'm ready for him when he does come. Um, and so we see some results coming in. Um, it's interesting. Somewhat uncomfortable, I think, is where I would have been for much of my life. I think I've moved into the somewhat comfortable camp uh, over the last uh, couple of years, especially. Um, and we see that that's what the biggest one is. 48%, at least as of this moment in time, of you say, yeah, I'm somewhat comfortable with that. We have some folks that are very comfortable, some folks, some folks that are somewhat uncomfortable. And then we have a few who are very uncomfortable um, I think that's probably because we're at a church service, right? Because we're here and uh, these are good, strong, faithful Christian folks. And so if John says it, then that indicates maybe we should be at least somewhat comfortable with that. It's in the context of several things that help us to see why this was so easy for John to say. And so I want to consider this evening getting comfortable saying, come Lord Jesus. How do we get as comfortable as John was in saying this very thing, this prayer, if you want to call it that, this proclamation, certainly telling Jesus to come and to come right now. Um, I want you to answer that same question again, and then I'll allow you to put your phones away in just a second. I want you to answer that same question again. So... Again, we have the same ideas. How comfortable are you saying, come Lord Jesus? Very comfortable is A, somewhat comfortable is B, somewhat uncomfortable is C, very uncomfortable is D. Um, but here's what we're going to uh, see with this, hopefully. It's going to show it based on age. It's going to show it based on age. So that first thing was just to get us warmed up. But it also is going to be reflected now in the age of these people. Okay? I have my theories about what's going to happen here. It's always a little nerve-wracking. I've got my own experience in my own life. Uh, but we're going to examine and see what we, have, um, what we have in responses from everyone here.
Okay, I, I, I did this based on my own age. I'm 37, and I kind of looked backwards and forwards from there and said, okay, I'm looking backwards, you know, what people are basically like me and looking forwards what people are basically like me. So we have 14 years between these cutoffs here. Um, so 51 to 64, somewhat comfortable. 90% are somewhat comfortable. Um, a few are uh, somewhat uh, uncomfortable. Uh, then our 65 and up, we have 30% are very comfortable, another 50% are somewhat uncomfortable. Um, that's interesting to me. So the biggest area of very comfortable is among our older folks. Uh, but then we also have 10% uh, down here uh, that are very uncomfortable as well. Um, that's not exactly what I expected, but it makes a certain degree of sense that there is a wisdom there, there is an experience there that is reflected in this. Um, I'll let you examine that on the screen behind me. Uh, I do think it's very clear up here at the top, this idea of somewhat uncomfortable. 88% of 22 and less are somewhat uncomfortable with that. Um, and so there's kind of this idea of we're uncomfortable with it, maybe we get a little more comfortable with it, and then uh, at the end of life maybe there's a little bit of both because there's wisdom that comes with that. This phrase... Even so, come Lord Jesus is found in a context, as all things in the Bible are. But what's the context with this phrase? John says this in a context of what? Well, first of all, and that's why I wanted you to respond in the way you did, John says this in a context of where he is, where he was in his life. Where was John in his life? Well, he was at the very end of his life. Um, he was... Uh, on the island of Patmos, not by choice, but because that's where the government said he had to stay. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. Uh, and he was in his 90s, in all likelihood, toward the end of his life, toward the end of the first century when these things were written. And I believe that it is easier for a 90-something-year-old John or Christians who are older to say that than for a younger Christian like me or like almost all of you. But you know what? What I have seen is that it's much easier for me to say that I'm more comfortable, somewhat comfortable with this at 37 than I was at 20 years old. Um, I remember going and, and uh, meeting with James Adams. I've, I've shared this with you before. There's lots of things with my meetings with James Adams I, I, I don't share with anybody else. Uh, some of you don't know who he was. He was a, a preacher of the gospel for many, many years, a very intelligent man, um, uh, a man who was a wordsmith. He loved words. My dad used to read articles that he wrote back in the day, and he said, I always read those with my Bible open, the article, and then a dictionary on the other side so I could look up the words that James used as, as he would write. And, and he preached in a similar way. Um, a man who did a lot of good in the kingdom. But in the very end of his life, he was, he was bound uh, in a facility uh, where he had to stay. Just his, his health problems were such that he couldn't get out. But his mind was still very sharp. I, I remember going and meeting with him and talking with him. And, you know, he'd say stuff like, you know, back in 1963, I held a meeting in this place and I stayed with brother so-and-so and I preached lessons on this topic over the course of the week and this many people were baptized. And I'm like, I think I know what I preached last week. Um, two weeks ago, you're going to be pushing me a little bit. But I remember right at the end of his life, um, he said something to me, and, and he repeated this a, a few times as I went and visited him. He said, Reagan, why am I still here? I'm like, well, Brother Adams, I'm getting some, some knowledge from you and so forth. He's like, no, why am I still here? 
I'm ready to go. I'm ready for the Lord to take me. And whenever he does, boy, am I going to be happy when that time comes. Um, The conviction with which he said that, I wish the Lord would just take me, always struck me and stuck with me. Paul says something similar in 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you want to turn over there, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, uh, we have the last words written in the New Testament, the last words written by John, at least that are recorded for us in Revelation 22. Here are likely the last words uh, written by the Apostle Paul, or at least some of the very last words in Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now this was written in the mid to late 60s AD when Paul um, was in his mid to late 60s in all likelihood. And Paul, Mr. Preach Till Midnight, says basically the same thing in three verses that John said in three words. Come, Lord Jesus. That's basically what he's saying here. I'm ready whenever you are, whether in death or you appearing again in judgment. I love that appearing. I'm ready for that appearing. I'm ready for you to take me, is the idea. And Paul, again, was likely in his mid to late 60s when he wrote this, but he also knew that his death was likely imminent, that he was about to be executed in all likelihood. But earlier in his life, only five to ten years, but in similar circumstances, he was in prison in Rome, uh, maybe under house arrest in Philippians as opposed to an actual prison. We think about a dungeon in 2 Timothy. But in Philippians chapter 1, we see that he expresses something slightly, only slightly, but certainly slightly different than what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Begin reading in verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always... So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Um, Paul's trying to choose between living and dying here, and he's like a kid in a candy store. There's just too much. I I can't choose between them. They're all good choices. To live is Christ and to die is gain. What I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Now, what's his expectation in Philippians? Um, I'm going to be... Uh, found not guilty, I'm going to be released, and I'm going to continue my work in the Lord. I'm not going to die. And he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. It's a difficult choice. 
Uh, It's a win-win, we might say, but I think I'm going to stay. I think that's what's going to happen. You know the difference between these two passages? Uh, There are lots that we could point to, but may I suggest that in Philippians 1, Paul still had work to do in Christ's kingdom that was right in front of him. He knew there was work that needed to be done with the Philippians. He knew there were some places he still needed to travel He knew exactly what it was he still had to do. And so there was a large part of him that desired to stay. He was hard-pressed between the two. Desired to stay and live on in this life so that he could accomplish this work. And then we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it's like, I'm ready to go. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, I can't wait for for Christ to take me. And maybe that sounds like us. Uh, Maybe it is like us. But I want you to think about something uh, as we compare ourselves to Paul here in these passages. When I was in my late teens and my early 20s, um, I didn't want the Lord to come yet. Not because I wasn't right with God as best I knew or excited about going to heaven as best I understood it at the time. I just wasn't ready for him to come yet because there was lots of stuff I still hadn't done yet. Things I wanted to do, things I hadn't seen, places I hadn't been, people I didn't know, things I hadn't experienced. Whether because I was still out in West Texas and there was lots of things that I wanted to see and do besides West Texas, or because I'd gotten a taste of doing some of those things as I went to Florida and did some traveling early in my college life. I'm like, There's some things that I want to do before I die or the Lord comes again. And so if the Lord comes, that's fine. I'm ready. But it'd be great if he delayed a little while so that I could do some of these things. And I mean, life was pretty good. Life was pretty good for me. Um, And I didn't mind. Lord's will be done. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, But I didn't mind either if, you know, things just kept humming along for a little while yet. I had a good life then in college and just out of college and before college. But let me say that my life is infinitely better now. And so if anything, it stands to reason, I would be less inclined for the Lord to come now than I was then. Hey, my life is great. You know, I got these beautiful girls, got a happy marriage, got brethren who love me. Like, there are good things in my life. And yet, my hesitation now is for a very different reason. It is no longer, at least primarily, about what I want to do and what I want to experience. Yeah, there's places I haven't been, things I haven't done, and I would love to do those things. But more and more, my hesitation for saying, come Lord Jesus, is about what I can do for the Lord. The people who need to hear the gospel. The people who need more time to respond to the gospel because they haven't done it yet. The brethren who I can work with and for, and beside all of the things that I would like to do in God's kingdom, the work that I would like to do that I haven't had time to do yet, or at least I've squandered time and haven't done it. There is work in the kingdom that needs to be done. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so I desire now for Christ to wait. But it's a win-win. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so here's what I want us to think about as far as where John was in his life and and what we see here with the Apostle Paul. Our motivation, as we mature in Christ, our motivation for Christ not coming must no longer be about what I want to experience, but instead 
about what I might accomplish and can accomplish for the Lord if the Lord waits in His long-suffering and allows me to work a little longer. As Christians, we must all grow less selfish in all of our motives, obviously, but especially for our desire for the world to continue and for us to continue living in it. Our motives for that, our motives for that need to become more noble, more about Christ and others, and less about ourselves. And if they do, then we're naturally going to become more comfortable saying, Come, Lord Jesus. But that's not the only context uh, that we see here in Revelation 22. John also says this in a context of what he had just been revealed to him, what had just been revealed to John. Think about what John has just seen. Think about what he saw as we think back through the book of Revelation. Um, we studied this uh, a couple of years ago. Um, it's an awesome book, isn't it? It is awesome. It is it should fill us with awe. And certainly as John saw this with his own eyes or with his own mind as these visions were given to him, we see that he describes Jesus and seeing Jesus in terms of God the Father. He is brought before the throne of God just like Ezekiel and Isaiah and others. And he sees God on his throne. He sees the the Lion of Judah who becomes the Lamb of God who is worthy to open the scrolls and he sees God's judgment come out of these scrolls. He sees the angelic beings. He sees the angels. He sees the 144,000. He sees the elders. He sees the innumerable hosts before the throne of God. And mingled in with these visions of God's justice and God's judgment are visions of glory. Over and over in the book of Revelation, we see that he skips and tells us how the story ends. Seven times, in fact, we are given glimpses of Christ victorious and his victorious people all with him. And those glimpses of glory are reminders of who's in charge and how the story ends. And each of those glimpses no, no doubt gave John peace in this life and hope for the life to come, as it should for us. But God saved the best for last. And in Revelation 21 and 22, John was shown eternity. And we too are shown eternity through the words that he wrote. And that glimpse, however brief, however partial, however physical in terms of the way things are being described, however short it comes of actually showing what eternity is, it should make an impact on us. But I can only imagine the impact it made on John. John saw into the future. He saw into the spiritual realm and he saw, perhaps more than any other man who had lived besides Jesus himself, maybe Paul, uh, we're not shown exactly what it was that, that Paul saw, but he says that he saw things coming after this. But John got to see heaven and the spiritual realm. And what other response could there be in seeing that than come Lord Jesus? I've seen how great it's going to be. And that should cause a great desire to be with Christ right now. I don't want to wait any longer. And we have, 
we have glimpses, or we should, as Christians. When we become more spiritually minded, we think on spiritual things, it should cause us to be more likely to say, come Lord Jesus. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Um, If you've been worshiping here any amount of time, you know this is one of my favorites. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life was hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Why? Because you're thinking about spiritual things. You're focused on spiritual things. That's where you have set your mind and your hope and your desires. For the, whole, for the Christian, the faithful Christian, our whole life now is tied into that future life that we'll have in heaven. And specifically into Christ coming again and that eternity to follow. We have spiritual life now, but we have a greater life in the resurrection and that idea is repeated over and over in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. If we turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn over there with me please. 1 Peter chapter 1. written to Christians in verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing... You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. That's a totally different view of the judgment to come than what we generally think about. It is a day of reward. It is a day of life. Instead of punishment and death, if we can say, come Lord Jesus in faith because we're right with God, that means our reward is coming that much faster. I have a reservation for my inheritance. And when Jesus comes, I get to collect on that reservation. And I'm not expecting a vision like John received, but the more spiritually minded I become, the more I can see things from a spiritual perspective instead of a fleshly carnal one. The more this perspective on things applies to us. I'm a spiritual being with a spiritual citizenship in a spiritual country. And when I say, come Lord Jesus, what I'm really saying is, I want to go home. Because this world is not my home, that one is. And when he comes, that's when we get to go. 
So John says this in a context of what has been just revealed to him. All of these things that are to come, but it's also said in a context of another invitation to come at the end of the book of Revelation. Go back to Revelation 22, if you would, and let's drop back to verses 14 through 17. Revelation 22, let's drop back now to verse 14. Revelation 22:14 Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and many enter through the gates into the city but outside outside the city of God that's been described in chapter 21 but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And then notice verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Here's my question. Is the exhortation to come that he says here, the exhortation to come addressed to Jesus or those who are thirsty? And let him who hears say, come. What is he saying? Is he saying, Jesus come? Or those who hear, are they saying to others, you need to come? Well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. But both of those things are there in this context. I am one who, ha who has heard. I've heard the words of Jesus and I've responded to them as the Bible uses that word here. And so I'm supposed to say to Jesus, come. And I'm also supposed to say to those who are thirsty spiritually, who want to hear and receive that same salvation, I'm supposed to say to them, come. Those who are thirsty, who need the water of life, Jesus invites them to come, and we should invite them to come as well. Why? Because He is coming. We don't know when going to, Christ is going to come again, but we know that He is. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that was the very problem that Paul is addressing in 1 Thessalonians. There were some who were saying, well, where's Jesus? Why ain't He come yet? And people are dying. What's going to happen to them? And so Paul writes to address some of their misunderstandings. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, after he has described Jesus coming again and what that will look like in chapter 4, uh, 13 through 18, he says in verse 5 about the time of Jesus coming. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pangs upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch, let us be sober. We need to be awake. We need to be ready is the idea. He says, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake or surprise you like a, th a thief. 
And this is in contrast to those who will not escape. You will escape the destruction, the ruin of Christ's coming. So you need to be ready, not overtaken, not surprised. And Paul's emphasis, as is the emphasis of the rest of the New Testament, is not about knowing when that day is going to occur, but being ready for that day whenever it does. What does it mean that this day is going to come as a thief in the night? Well, that means that it comes suddenly. It happens fast. It means that it comes unexpectedly. Uh, something can come suddenly, but, but it's okay because we expect it. For example, if I say to B, hey, catch. Well, the ball's coming suddenly, uh, but it's not unexpectedly. I've told him it's coming, and so he's ready to catch it. But this day is going to come unexpectedly at, a, unexpectedly at a time that we are not expecting it. It's also something that comes without a specific advanced warning. Something can come expectedly, but we don't have enough advanced warning to really prepare for it. Um, there have been times where we've gone and we've visited at another congregation and they find out I'm a preacher. And so after I've walked in the door, as the service is about to start, they say, hey, will you preach for us this morning? Or, or maybe sometimes it's, can you preach for us, please? Can you please preach for us? Um, not because of me, because they're desperate, I think. So what is it in that situation? Well, um, I'm expecting it when they say Reagan McClenney is going to come and preach for us now, but I didn't have advanced warning of that. There was no time to prepare a sermon. Instead, I need to have a sermon already prepared if I'm going to do that, right? And so too with this day that comes as a thief in the night. Uh, it comes without specific advanced warning uh, that this is going to happen at this specific time. But then maybe most of all what it says is it will end in great loss for those who are caught unprepared. Jesus uses the same metaphor back in Matthew chapter 24. If you want to turn back there. The first half of Matthew 24, I believe, is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that is coming or was coming at that time. And then in verse 35, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so he says in verse 36, But, this is a contrast, right? But of that day. Well, that same phrase, that day, in Greek was used back in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 22, that there are many in that day who will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things? And I'll say, Depart from me, I never knew you. So that day is used earlier by Jesus to describe the day of judgment. And specifically, we think about that day. Well, what's the last thing he's talked about? Where the day when, 35, heaven and earth will pass away. So what I believe he's doing now is he's transitioning from Jerusalem is going to be destroyed in a day of judgment to say now there's another day of judgment that's coming at the end when the earth will be destroyed. What's that going to be like? Of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Noah had preached to them, remember? They had some warning, but Noah didn't say, now on September 25th, that's when the flood's going to come, and so you need to be ready on that day. They just needed to be ready whenever the flood came. 
And, and maybe Christ isn't going to come. Maybe it's implied that Christ is not going to come until our days are like the days of Noah where the thoughts and intents of everybody's hearts is only evil continually. But the primary image that he's giving there is this day taking them by surprise. They're eating and drinking and going about their lives and then judgment comes and they weren't on the ark. They weren't prepared. And so he says that's what it's going to be like. Two men will be in the field, two women grinding in the mill, one taken, the other left. Verse 42, watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Whenever he comes, it will be unexpected. The emphasis is on being ready at all times because we do not know what time it will be. At the same time, we should all be ready for that coming. And John is comfortable saying, come to Jesus, because he has already answered this other invitation from Jesus. He's telling Jesus to come, because he's already come to him. The Spirit, we are told back there in Revelation 22, 14 through 17. In verse 17, it says, the Spirit says, come. God uh, has revealed the way for us to get back into a relationship with him through his Holy Spirit. The Spirit says, come. And the bride says, come. The bride is the church. The bride is God's people. And God's people are telling others to come. And the Christians who make up Christ's church are asking anyone who is not right with Christ to come and make their life right with him. And if we have then we can be comfortable with Christ coming anytime. Go back again to Revelation 22, and let's let's go back to verse 21. Maybe we're uncomfortable. Call me Paul, not John, because let me summarize what I just said. Maybe we're not comfortable with saying, come Lord Jesus, because we're not ready for him to come. Because we're not sure if we're right with him for him to come. But on the other hand, if we've answered the invitation to come to him and drink freely of the water of life, then we can be ready whenever he comes. In verse 21, John says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. If Christ's grace is with me, then I can be confident. Whenever he comes, I'm ready. So John says this in a context of where he was in his life, what had just been revealed to him in the book of Revelation, of another invitation to come to Christ and make your life right with him. And then finally, in the context of asking Jesus to fulfill his promises. You know, the first time you read this, come Lord Jesus, sounds a little bossy, doesn't it? Remember who it is you're talking to. Maybe if I were to put it, maybe it would be, Please come, Lord Jesus, with a question mark. You know, if you'd like to come, now would be a good time on on my schedule. Please come, Lord Jesus. But that's not what John does. He says, come, Lord Jesus. But then we realize that John was only asking Jesus to fulfill what Jesus had already said he was going to do. Notice again in this immediate context. Go back to verses 6 and 7 of Revelation 22. 
Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Drop down to verses 12 and 13. And behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then even immediately before John says what he does, come Lord Jesus, in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Jesus says, surely I am coming quickly. And John says, amen. So let it be. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And I think what we should take from that is if Jesus says it's time to come, then come, Lord Jesus. Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly. And John says, fulfill your word. Fulfill your promises. Do you trust Jesus? If Jesus says it's time to come, do you trust that that's the right time? I trust, I have faith, that he will come at exactly the right time. If Jesus is coming, it's because it's the right time for him to come. And so I can say, somewhat comfortably, come Lord Jesus. Now, I said all of that to you. It makes it a little more real if I say it to him. If now is the right time, over the last couple of years, I've started doing this some to myself and to the Lord. When it seems like the right time to me, I will say, come Lord Jesus. Now is not the time. Could have been, but it wasn't. He waits. Why does he wait? I don't know specifically, but Peter says his waiting in general is because of his long suffering. He waits. And maybe he waits for you. Are you ready for him to come? If we are confident saying, come Lord Jesus, then that means that we are mature in our motives because of where we are in our lives and the maturity that we've gained in Christ. We are spiritually minded in our outlook. We are confident in our salvation And we are full of faith that God knows what is best. And if we aren't confident saying, come Lord Jesus, then I ask you, what's standing in the way? What's keeping you from being confident in that? If there's something that separates you from your God, if there's something that separates you from Christ whenever he comes, then make it right, even this evening. And we encourage you to do so while together we stand and while we sing. When Jesus comes to reward